I I'd like to see both your badges again right now. I don't blame you, Mr. Brockman. <laughs> I'm supposed to believe that's a real name? Hello, and welcome to Condensed Truth, the Essential X-Files podcast. I'm your host, Shelby. And I'm Laura. And this week we have a new guest on, our friend Abby. Welcome, Abby. Abby. Hello. Welcome, and thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah, thanks for coming on. Yeah. Um, so this week we are talking Season 3, Episode 4, Clyde Bruckman's Final Repose. Woo-woo! My favorite episode. Mm -hmm. This aired October 13th, 1995, which, yes, that is that 1013 uh. of uh, Mulder's birthday and Chris Carter's birthday fame. It is Chris. This aired on Chris Carter's 39th birthday. Ew. <laughs> it was written by Darren Morgan and directed by David Nutter. So the plot summary is this is a character centric episode revolving around two men, Clyde Bruckman, a man who can see how everyone he meets will die and a man called The Puppet, who is also psychic, but sees himself killing people. Mulder and Scully seek Bruckman's help to stop the killer, and he's reluctant. His visions have led him to a depressed, nihilistic outlook on life. But we see Mulder and Scully learn more about Bruckman, as he ends up reluctantly and somewhat indirectly helping them stop the killer. Also, Scully gets a dog, Aww. and that's what happens. Uh, anyway, Abby, what is your relationship to the X-Files? Well, Shelby, before today, I wouldn't have said I had one. Um, <laughs> uh, no, I think that uh, other than potentially being in the room as you and maybe Laura and maybe others were watching an X-Files episode, I don't think that I have had uh, any relationship to it, which is odd. It's definitely a show that would have been watched in my household. And I legitimately oh, yeah. think that it wasn't because... I thought it was too scary. And so it, we just <laughs> didn't watch it. I think, I feel like we watched like half of an episode before class once. That's probably true. That makes sense. Yeah. But yes, that also I have like, I have like the vaguest memory of like me as a child, like seeing like half, like a scene from the X-Files and getting really spooked by it, which is like, I mean, I don't think it's not scary, but like it isn't as scary as I thought it would be. It can be a pretty scary show. Like I think this episode can, is actually for sure. pretty scary. I mean, yeah. I'm just saying in this episode, we see a decomposing man and that's yeah. true. Probably young Abby would have been like, <laughs> terrified. what? The? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Abby, the baby <laughs> of her household. <laughs> so this is written by the, the genius, Darren Morgan. Shelby's fave. And, and he was told to make it scary because his last episode, Humbug, was like pretty pure comedy. Mm -hmm. And so he, he very much was like, I'm going to make a scary one because that's scary, what the X-Files does. Yes, he can't help him. He said he can't help himself, but he put jokes in. I, I really like things that are like dark and also scary. Like that's I think this episode falls in. I really like this episode. I, I like it. I like it when the X-Files gets more murdery, I guess, and less alieny, mm. More procedural. Yeah, I do, I guess, like yeah. the more procedural side of it. Yeah, and uh, this this is also uh, partially inspired by his brother Glenn, also a writer on the show, had a, a book on homicide investigations and crime scene photos. And like Darren would look at it and just get depressed about it, just seeing people being murdered, which is very right. understandable. 
Mm-hmm. And then, like, he just thought about, like, psychics and, like, people who claim to, like, see visions of this. And he's like, man, they must be, like, suicidal and, you know, very depressed. And that's kind of how we got, came to this episode. Yeah. Uh, and also, this is two of the three X-Files Emmys are from this episode. Peter Boyle won for Best Guest Actor in a Drama. And Darren Morgan won for Best Writing in a Drama. And then one more, which will come later. As a big Young Frankenstein fan, I love Peter Boyle. He's so <laughs> good in this episode. Like that's he's very like, good. Like he's why you watch this episode. I think like he really, really shines. He's Which is so kind of funny because they, uh, Chris Carter said they tried not to cast big name actors because he said it ruined the disbelief. Like it's like he wants it to be scary. He doesn't want you to be thinking, "Hey, it's that guy," you know. Which right. is very understandable. Yeah. I get it, but but it's also like you get great performances sometimes when you hire some more talented right. people. And I feel like Peter Boyle's certainly known, but I feel like he's also mm-hmm. like not so no he's not such a big name that is distracting. Right. Like their first the first suggestion was Bob Newhart. Oh my god. <laughs> like that so, would have been it's so big. That would have been honestly hilarious. <laughs> I think like Peter Boyle is a better choice. And I think what's interesting is like I think for our generation, we mostly know him from like Everybody Loves Raymond. He exactly. plays like That's mostly Ray Romano's father. Man. Yeah. I I really love Young Frankenstein, the Mel Brooks movie, and he plays the monster in it and is great. Mm-hmm. It's like some of the best physical comedy done. Cause I mean he does like talk like a little bit in it, but not not mm-hmm. for the most part. Um, yeah. I love him. It's great. I think it was perfect casting. Did you know he also played uh that he played he was in this TV show that I don't think it lasted very long, like thankfully, but it was about this cop who gets like reincarnated as a dog. He's like trying to figure out who murdered him. And like the what? it was like made in like ninety something. It sounds awful. That sounds so <laughs> I think bad. I watched like a clip of it and I was like, Good God. <laughs> they needed to lay out the cocaine. <laughs> Uh, okay, sorry, I have a lot of like f- notes up front. My <laughs> other note, the name Clyde Bruckman is uh, actually uh, a real, per- he's a real person. Not this guy, but like the name is from a real person. Mm-hmm. And he was a Hollywood like director, writer, and he collaborated with Buster Keaton and Abbott and Costello a lot. But he got blackballed from the industry because he <laughs> started reusing old gags. <laughs> <laughs> and And then he was... You know, desolate, like couldn't get a job. And uh, he unfortunately ended up dying by suicide, which, you know, content warning. That's going to be something we talk about later because, yeah. Uh, But yeah. Oh, my other my other favorite note is that in 1997, TV Guide ranked this episode 10th in a 100 best TV episodes of all time list. Deserved. Deserved. Nice. What was number one? I didn't look it up. <laughs> Maybe I could look it up real quick. I thought it was going to be like the MASH finale or something, you know? <laughs> I bet it is. I don't know. People love that. Yeah. Okay. It was actually, it's actually a Mary Tyler Moore episode. Chuckles oh. Bites the Dust. Which is very iconic. I, mm-hmm. I, It's good. It's good. It's not one of my favorite Mary Tyler Moore episodes, but makes sense. I don't recognize most of the other ones. Actually, I do recognize a few, but anyway. They also cool. did a list in 2009 and... Um, the uh, Carly Buckman's got kicked out of the top ten, unfortunately. So Shelby, you called this your favorite X Files episode. Yes. Uh, and since we're talking about lists of best episodes ever, what makes it like your top X Files episode? 
episode. We good question. I, we'll get into it, but it's definitely like I think it has like the perfect mix of like because it's it's not so out there that it feels out of place for like an X Files episode. Like some of Darren Morgan's other episodes can tend to be like as when they're good, they're good, but like they're still kind of out there. But I think it has a lot of heart and it's very sad and it's very sweet and. I think every time I watch it, I just like pick up something new. It's very dense. It's very layered. And it to me, it feels it feels I mean, it thinks it's interesting because I think now this seems not I mean, not like it's not still incredible, but I think TV has changed so much since like 1995 that like this is more common to us, like this kind of show, this kind of episode. But I think at the time, like it really stood out. And I feel like it really is like it's uh a huge influence on TV as a whole, like this sort of perfect, like, you know, just like all these little Easter eggs he puts in, like all these, like, you feel so smart when you pick up on like a reference to like an earlier episode. And I think that wasn't a, because TV like was meant when it was, you know, first, you know, for quite a while, it was like, you pop in, you sit down, you know, the characters, you watch an episode, you don't need to know anything else about the show. Like it's, it, it, it like didn't rely too much on co- continuity and i think this episode really it it rewards you for knowing Mulder and scully as well as you do and it rewards you for like because it's so unique from the rest of the episodes of the x-files and it is just so good it's like the scene with like we'll get into it later but the scene with scully and bruckman in the hotel which like Mm -hmm. it just means so much to me it's so incredibly sweet to me like this episode stands out as like one of like like this episode screams Shelby to me because like it has a really good mix of like those like sweet tender moments that you really really hold on to especially between like Gully and like the sort of likable but like kind of grumpy depressed old man and also like it has your sense of humor like the funny moments to me are like really funny and it just reminds me so much of like your sense of humor Shelby like that's why I'm like oh yeah Clyde Bruckman's <laughs> is like Shelby's episode like for sure I really enjoyed this episode yeah all the throwaway gra- gags in this episode so like just like the quick lines just crack so me good. up so hard so good <laughs> I think that's like mostly what I wrote down was all the <laughs> jokes that I was like ah <laughs> exactly oh my my final note uh for now is that when they first made like when they first cut this episode, it was ten minutes over time. <laughs> That's so much. It's so That's much. A lot. And Darren was like, I was trying not to go over, and it's like ten minutes. Ten minutes is a lot to cut out. Like that doesn't yeah. sound like that much. Like I think if you're not familiar with like how sort of like creative projects are made, but like ten minutes you have to cut down. That's yeah. a lot. Jesus Christ. He went way <laughs> over. He really did. So we open the I love the cold open. The cold open is so good. And it has like the camera opens and it's on like a magazine and it kind of zooms out and we see this man called the stupendous yappy. And Clyde is reading his predictions on the cover of this like National Enquirer type magazine. And all of his predictions are like just so funny and just like so weird. And and Clyde's like offering his commentary to all of them, but my favorite is definitely like <laughs> when he says that Buddy Holly faked his death and would headline Lollapalooza. <laughs> he can't pronounce Lollapalooza. <laughs> and Clyde just goes, "What the hell is Lollapalazzo? Who's Buddy Holly?" <laughs> just so funny. That's where I'm just like Peter Boyle really delivers in this episode, like already, like perfect exactly. casting. <laughs> And like his other things were like, 
J.D. Salinger's coming out of retirement. Madonna and Kato Kalin were going to like get in a relationship. Like it was just so bonkers, but it was so good. And yeah, so he he, <laughs> he ends up buying the magazine and he buys his malt liquor and his lotto ticket. He's all set. And he goes to leave. And this is something I didn't realize until very recently when I was rewatching it for like the 20th time or whatever. Is that he's he's humming, uh, that'll be the day that I die by Buddy Holly while he's walking. And he, we, the text on the screen says it's, we're in St. Paul, Minnesota. And it's September 16th, which is right around the corner for us. We're recording on the 12th. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he... Clyde almost runs into this other guy and they're kind of like back and forth trying to go around each other, but keep accidentally going the same direction. And and then the man, we, we end up following the man who goes into a palm reader's office. And there's a woman there named Madame Zelma. And Madame Zelma is played by Karen Konoval, which appears later. She appears later in an episode uh, called Home. And if you've seen that episode, you know which iconic role she's in, but I won't say what it is for now. We'll talk about it when we get to it. But um, he says, like, why am I doing that? I see myself doing things, awful things I never thought I'd do. Why am I doing them? Madame Zelma is not a palm reader. <laughs> or she's a palm reader. She's not a psychiatrist. I love that line. She's like, I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And then he, he's like grabbing her hands tighter. And, <laughs> and she realizes she's in danger. She says, please, like, stop. Which she also drops her fake accent for, which I also like that detail. Yeah, that's such a good detail. She was really good. It was, mm-hmm. Yeah. Oof. And the killer says, you're a fortune teller. You should have seen this coming. And it's like, Ugh. like, this is such a good way to end the cold open. But like, oh, my God, like, it's so good. It's so good. Yeah. It's funny. And then it just like hits you over the head. Like, no, this is the X-Files. There's going to be a murder. Yeah, it gets real dark real, real fast. Yeah, pass by. One of my favorite jokes, which was <laughs> when they were out in the street and they were dancing around one another. <laughs> and the guy, like they do that thing where they both step and then they step to the other side and then they're like, oh, mm-hmm. OK. And then they finally get past each other. And uh, uh, the first gentleman is like, you know, sorry about that or whatever. And the <laughs> and the man that we follow into the palm reading shop uh, says, don't apologize. You're a better dancer than my last date. <laughs> and I was like, so as someone who is not familiar with the X, uh, the X Files, um, just coming into this episode, I was like, oh yes, this is this is quality TV. <laughs> exactly. Very exciting. It's also like, how did you stop to realize that maybe he's referencing someone else he's already killed by that line? Yeah. Yeah. No. Possibly. Yeah, my my yeah no I, I I enjoyed that as well. Um, uh, mm-hmm. Also, when she does drop the accent, it like made me think, uh, especially in that kind of um, I don't know if you want to call it occult practice of uh, palm reading and tarot and whatever. Um, a lot as of Willer it. As Willer and Scully call it, pro- prognosticators. Yes, yeah, sure. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> but in a lot of that, <laughs> the um, the like the reader is is very much like putting on a uh, like a show, right, as kind of mm-hmm. part of their uh, unspoken agreement with the person who has come for the reading. Um, and so I think it's even more like exciting that you get to see like in a very brief interaction, like uh, the woman's um, like initial interaction with the accent and then realizing what a difficult situation she's in and dropping the accent. Mm-hmm. It's they fit a lot of information to, into like a very quick blitz there. And that was exactly. Yeah. Like 
it, this is like such a well-structured episode. So, so many moments come back and like everything fits together so well. And it's truly remarkable how well like this episode is structured. So after we have the credits and then after the credits, we're in North Minneapolis three days later at a different murder, but same M.O. And the detectives are talking and one of them's like, oh, you called in some some guy to help investigate. And he's like, yeah, (laughs) I heard he's a bit unorthodox. (laughs) I once worked at Casey did very spooky. And so we as the audience are like, "Okay, that's Mulder. They're talking about Mulder. Right. (laughs) And then. Um, as they're talking, Mulder makes like the most dramatic entrance it's possible. <laughs> He's just standing at the doorway, like posing. And we cut to the detectives and we're like, oh yeah, this is a big moment. And the detective just goes, who the hell are you? <laughs> <laughs> That's another thing I love that Darren Morgan does a lot of like subversion and like, mm-hmm. you know, the audience is expecting one thing, but then it turns into something else because like he is trying to break out of the formula of the X-Files. He's trying to critique the X-Files within the X-Files. And this is very much that a lot what is happening here. <laughs> mm-hmm. So we find out Mulder isn't the, the kook, the very spooky kook they called in. It's somebody else. Not this time he isn't. Maybe another time. Maybe next time. And they offer a profile of the killer. And this is where we um, learn more. Because this is also, uh, this is, the, yeah, this was, a, she was a doll collector. But they, but she uh, was an amateur tassiographer meaning she read tea leaves. But the killer had in taken her eyes and entrails out because that's that was like a way people divin- like divined someone's future in the past. Like I'm pretty sure it was like very much like a Roman. I know the Romans did it uh, for sure. But like, yeah, very grim. Just just some some like not super well uh, uh, like prop entrails and like eyeballs just sitting on the table. They look so fake. <laughs> they looked very fake. It was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but as we're like learning about the case and like what's happening and getting caught up on like the case of the week, essentially, we hear some yelling in the hallway and in comes the stupendous yappy. And the stupendous yappy is played by Yop Broker who is uh, David Duchovny's stand-in for the X-Files. Oh, really? So he just, yeah, he stands there, like, when they're shooting the scene, yeah. and, like, Make they just sure the need someone to stand there. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. They don't need David Duchovny. They just need someone to stand and pretend to be David Duchovny. That's his job on the show. And Darren wrote this episode, or wrote this character specifically for him. <laughs> I love that. That's so cute. That's awesome. And when he first... When he first told him, he thought it was a joke. And then I think Chris Carter walked by him one day and was like, hi, Yappy. <laughs> that makes this character like a lot less annoying and a lot more endearing. <laughs> yeah. He's so, he's like such a, he's so emotive and it's so funny. He's, he's good. Yeah, it's great. It's, the eyebrows are so impressive. Yeah. The eyebrow acting is incredible. It's yeah. like you don't know exactly who he's making fun of, but you know, you know, like, you know what he's making fun of, though, right? Exactly. Like, yeah. Yeah, like, um, these kind of, like, psychics aren't really popular now. But I have, like, a vague, like, uh, Madame Cleo, right? She was from the 90s, I think. I don't know. Like, we're, I feel like I'm, I like, we were alive, so we know of them vaguely. But we're, <laughs> we're not old enough to, like, know them too well. But, yeah, for sure. This whole, like, you know, psychic with, like, a 1-900 number. <laughs> and he is, he's very showy. And he's. He's offering these like vague hints. He's saying things like he does not think he does not feel like he's in control of his own life. Like just, you know, <laughs> and it, it's so funny because um, 
he may or may not have a beard. Yeah, <laughs> maybe the maybe the tattoo has a beard. Right. <laughs> and and a white man, seventeen to thirty-five or whatever he says, like that's just <laughs> that's just a serial killer profile. Like right. th- there's no guessing <laughs> there. Like most serial killers are white men. That's just playing 17 the odds. Seventeen to thirty-five. <laughs> Maybe, you know, five, seven to six feet tall and with or without a beard. <laughs> You'll find the body dumped somewhere. <laughs> and and so, like, he's going on and he's like, oh, like, they're having sex here. And he's like, I lost the vision. I'm being blocked by negative energy. He turns and he lifts his eyebrow and he looks and, like, the camera cuts the scully, like, looking really shocked. Mm-hmm. And then he moves close to her. And apparently this scene was hard to shoot because Jillian kept laughing, which I am... That's completely so. understandable. It's understandable. And also, like, if you watch the X-Files bloopers, they're like, mm, they're like 40% her laughing. <laughs> 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 but then, again, this is another subversion. He turns his head again and looks at Mulder. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, it's a, he's the skeptic this time. Yeah, and and he's and he's like, you have negative energy, and Mulder's like, I, I'm a, you, you must trust me. I am a believer, and he makes him leave the room. But I love the quip right before he leaves. Scully leads in, and she says, I can't take you anywhere. I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so good, so good. I love their little. I love. I love the episodes that just let them be like fun partner banter, right? Mm-hmm. So well, then, and is it Ben or is it? Um, I forget if he's still in the room or if it's after this scene resolves that um, she says to him, "Well, might as well go home." Uh, <laughs> it was after he comes back in. So okay, like, yeah. yeah, like Yaffe finishes, he leaves. Uh, him and Mulder have a kind of back and forth that's also pretty funny about like read this thought. <laughs> so is your old man, <laughs> yeah. like just. S- such great i like i was like taking notes and usually my notes like um i have like 90 lines like with line breaks and stuff so it's not like solid notes or anything but i was like this is 10 minutes into the episode i'm like halfway there and i'm just like oh this episode's so dense i'm just having an (laughs) impenetrable number of notes (laughs) but yeah and then Mulder comes back in and they talk and and Mulder and scully both point, point out that like yappy's clues are so vague as to be useless and also vague enough to, in hindsight, you will think he's right mm-hmm. <laughs> when you catch a white man doing a crime. And that's also when, like, yeah, she, she, <laughs> the, I love the line where, like, they say all this and the detective is undeterred and he's like, well, he's given me more clues than y'all have. Now, if you don't mind, I have to get an APB out on a white male, 17 to 34, with or without a beard, maybe a tattoo, who's impotent. <laughs> That all points bolded is so funny. He's like, who's imp- impotent? <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then Scully's like, this case is as good as solved, Mulder. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, because uh, I think it's about like it's you know like every other vague statement that he was making. It's about um, like needing to feel in control, uh, and yeah. he doesn't like he doesn't feel in control mm-hmm. of the situation. Right. And I think. Um, Scully later makes a comment like, "Yeah, he Everyone probably feels doesn't feel in control, in their lives. right?" But most people, at some point in their lives, don't feel yeah. in control, um, mm-hmm. and so it just goes on with like the vague kind of like blanket statement about generic white man uh, being a serial killer. <laughs> right. um, yeah, totally. And there is a deleted scene that I watched because it was on my Blu-ray 
uh, part of special. that 10 minutes that I had to get cut. What? Yeah, that 10 minutes. I want to see the 10 minutes. I want to see all of it. Why the am I only getting cut. one deleted scene? <laughs> I want to, yes. Darren Morgan extended cut. Clyde Rockbridge final repose. The people demand it. <laughs> but, but there's a deleted scene where Mulder's talking about psychics always just being, you know, frauds and fakes. Mm-hmm. And he's like holding this doll that like later it's the doll that Clyde Ruckman's holding. And he's holding the doll and Scully says something like, one day you'll get your psychic Mulder. And then the next scene that is in the episode is we cut to Clyde Ruckman. And um, I also love, I love when shows do that where they just like, when they cut to like the next scene, it's like, this is who we're talking about. When it's which so is the on the nose. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which like this episode does later too with like the tarot mm-hmm. reading, which we'll get to. Yeah. But yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and we 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 see Clyde again and he's trying to sell life insurance which is his job and he's selling it to this young couple and the couple's like but we'd like to buy a boat <laughs> and um he does this like you don't get it kid and this eerily specific situation he describes of this man dying in a car accident after being hit head on by a drunk driver Sliding across the asphalt, drunk driver driving like a Mustang, 84 Mustang or something like spookily accurate. <laughs> it's like it's so like this is our like there's something weird about this guy moment of the X-Files. <laughs> but then the 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 young husband is just mister. I think you need to work on your closing technique. <laughs> well, yeah, it does. I think that's what I love about like this whole episode. You got like you were talking about it being like very like you know, setting up and then subverting that. Um, mm-hmm. But it is very much uh, it's this like perfect, perfect mixture of that, um, like taking itself seriously procedural mm-hmm. and then hitting you with the quippy line, reminding exactly. you that this is like, yeah. Um, <laughs> also, yeah, like deflating itself a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Which I enjoy, like deflating in that ego a bit for sure. Yeah. Also, the lighting in this scene on Clyde Brookman, whenever he's describing the way that this dude is going to die in the, and the car camera accident, is, yeah. and the camera movement panning around really him, really good. Yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. they because did a it, really good job on this episode. Yeah, mm-hmm. it even sets up like it starts um, like from the view from across the tape as he's beginning this narrative of the essentially describing the man's death two years from now. Like it begins mm-hmm. that narrative with the camera on the side of the um, the the younger man. Um, and then it like slowly pans around and like his face is turning kind of with the camera so that the final scene is like the camera uh, on one side with uh, his face taking up most of the frame. But then you see the younger man like faded in the background and then he jumps mm-hmm. in with the like, oh, you really need to work on your closing <laughs> statement. <laughs> it's like, ah, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. And and we we follow Clyde again. We follow him home and he pours himself a glass of whiskey and he throws it this bag of lettuce that looks like a face. A vision of his own death, which we find out later. Well, I mean, you put the clues together. <laughs> Again, like I'm saying, like this episode's so layered. You, you rewatch it, you're picking up on more stuff that you missed the first time around. Um, and he goes to his elderly's neighbors to her, uh, his elderly neighbor, Mrs. Lowe, to take her trash out for her. It's very sweet. He's a very nice mm-hmm. man. But she gives him his li- her lighter instead, <laughs> which he keeps. <laughs> But then um, he sees a vision of her death, which is that she dies and then her dog, a little Pomeranian, Mm -hmm. uh, is so hungry that he eats her or Mm -hmm. he starts eating her. Mm -hmm. And he he says, get get out of here, you disgusting mutt. (laughs) (laughs) That's how I'm going to go. My cat, Wyatt, is going to eat me. Yeah, your cat, if you die, your cat will absolutely eat you if it gets hungry enough. Dogs, it depends on the dog. Well, I think dogs, it depends on the dog and it depends on if you own a cat. because. 
if the yeah. if the dog sees the cat eating you, it will also also eat, eat you. you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. But your cat will eat you. Like it will not hesitate. When you're hungry, you're hungry. Yeah, I mean, it's not it's not the animal's fault. Yeah. Like it's sometimes right, right. gross to think about, but it's also like I mean, no, you're dead. I'm pretty convinced sometimes that she's gonna eat me, like regardless of if I'm uh, yeah dead in the house or not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And he goes out to take the trash, and he finds a dead body face down in the dumpster. And this is Madame Zelma. He doesn't just find a dead body face down in the dumpster. He goes to put the trash in the one side of the dumpster, and you see him stop and, like, close that side. And he goes to the other side of the dumpster, lifts it up, puts the trash in, closes the lid, and then has this moment of, like, like gotta call in the body, you know? Exactly. He seems and so he sees, fucking sad. He sees yeah. so much death without actually seeing a real body. Like, mm-hmm. and then he has to find a dead body. It's like this man cannot escape death. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it like hangs on him like a shroud. Yeah. So then we have the detective, um, Detective Klein. Uh, the the two detectives that have names Klein and Havez are also named after like collaborators with Buster Keaton. I, I'm not going to get into all the names because I I'm, I think all of them are references. <laughs> you could go read the Wikipedia page yourself. Right. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I absolutely love the line of like Detective Klein saying, it's kind of creepy, isn't it? Yeah, he said the first body had been dumped somewhere and then we find it in a dumpster. Oh. And well, there's... Ooh, I just got a chill down my spine. <laughs> <laughs> in like the most condescending way. Oh. <laughs> <sighs> And Scully looks at the crowd of gawkers, which is important to note that she is always looking at the crowd of gawkers where the body's found. Well, and sees him. Smart. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. The, the killer is hanging around <laughs> after they found the body he killed. He looks like the dude in Ratatouille. Yes. <laughs> what I thought the entire time. Sue Charno. He really does. Wouldn't it turn out funny if he wasn't in control because there was a rat on his head that was making him do all this horrible stuff? Right. He's uh, called under the puppet. His bellboy. Hello, yeah. it's just a Ratatouille. It's yeah. just the prequel to Ratatouille. Yeah, this was the inspiration for Ratatouille, actually. That's my fun fact of the day. This is the Ratatouille cinematic universe. <laughs> and so Mulder and Scully, Scully's like, who found the body? And so Mulder and Scully go to talk to Bruckman, which this is... This is such a great, like, I love this scene of them inter- getting introduced to Bruckman because it's so funny. And also, like, they learn so much about this guy in such a short period of time. <laughs> yeah. And um, and he, he's, he says, like, a lot of details that, like, he, he wouldn't know. He says, like, that her eyes and entrails have been cut out. And they said, how did you know she's face down in the dumpster? He's like, well, weren't they? They were, weren't you? <laughs> Why are you complaining? <clears throat> and then, like, how did they get cut out? Uh, of a crystal ball of all cockamamie things. And, like, just, like, Peter Boyle does so well in this scene. And, like, just Mulder and Scully's, like, complete, like, flummoxed of, like, this weird old man who has so many details. And Mulder, of course, like, is like, okay, he's psychic. I know this. <laughs> yeah, so this is where, and maybe I just have a disconnect not um, uh, being as familiar with uh, the X-Files and how they have handled things in the past. But, like, this is where it broke, um believability for me a little bit because I was like they should like especially when he's like you know are you gonna take me in I didn't do it or whatever it's like they should absolutely be taking him <laughs> in like if if they're doing anything they're like, not good cops Abby well I know but no, Mulder's I, playing a hunch <laughs> see and maybe that's it but like in my mind 
like Mulder wanting to play the hunch would have meant like Scully is like, no, the facts say that we should take him in or whatever, because there's no way he should know (laughs) this. So it was weird to me that she like also went along with it when I was like, Mm -hmm. clearly he's the killer. Well, they did take him somewhere like he wouldn't know where they were taking him until they show up in there at like some dead woman's apartment. Counterpoint to your point, Abby, is why would the, if he really killed her, why would he A, call it in, and then B, just give them all of this information that makes him seem like the killer if he is actually the killer? (laughs) Why do serial killers stand around in the crowd of bystanders watching the police find the body? (laughs) They have to. Because they're creepy. (laughs) My other other favorite line is Scully saying, how do you know about the entrails? That wasn't released to the press. And Ruffin saying... I never read the papers. Too depressing. Oh, poor man. <laughs> that makes me so sad. Like he's so sad. That is so sad. He's and, and like I like how we kind of like it, it. It it takes the whole episode for it to really sink in how like sad and depressing and lonely this man's life is because it's like very obvious from the beginning. But like once you there's so many jokes you know happening. That you're going more and more in the episode, you're like, wow, like this is very depressing. I think the fact that he's a life insurance agent is also really interesting. And like, it's not really (laughs) talked about in the show, but it's definitely like, okay, this dude sees how everyone that he meets dies. And it's like kind of almost as a way to like reconcile that is to like set up some form of compensation for like their loved (laughs) ones and their families. It's a perfect gig. Yeah. It's just like, you know, like he sees how they're going to die and he's not trying to cheat them out of policies necessarily, but Mm -hmm. like, or, you know, like be like, give them like really shitty coverage or something, but it's almost kind of like a way to like, yeah, to like reconcile that like is like, okay, well, at least he's like helping family or whatever afterward. Yeah. And how often he brought it up. Uh, in particular, I think with Mulder, it was at least He's very passionate twice. about his job. Yeah, it was at least <laughs> twice that he, and I think because Mulder was the one that he like saw dying mm-hmm. later or whatever, but mm-hmm. I thought that oh, was yeah, a this, touch. This episode leads to a fun fan theory. <laughs> so Mulder and Scully take Ruckman to the crime scene, and I love it. And Mulder is very much like, I think you can see things that we can't. And, and he goes, I'd like to see both of your badges again. And incredible, like... <laughs> I didn't catch that. That's so good. <laughs> I Another incredible thing of, like, uh, the way, a way, like, Darren Morgan makes fun of the X-Files, like, premise sometimes is, like, the fact that his name is Fox Boulder. And he goes, <laughs> because I'm supposed to believe that's a real name. <laughs> <laughs> so good. And he sees the bloodstains on the table of the entrails, and he runs to throw up, and... Mulder goes, pinch me. <laughs> and Scully's like, hey, this guy's doing the same routine as Stupendous Yap. He's just doing it in a different style. And then the way the first thing Ruckman says when he comes out of the bathroom and Scully is like pointed out that he's the same as Yappy is saying, the killer doesn't feel like he's in control of his life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then follows it up with, who does? Am I right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was so funny. This, like, just incredible. Yeah. I also like that there are some things that are the same between, like, Yappy exactly. and him. It's like, like, yeah, like, it's one of those things where it's like, Yappy is more of a fraud, but he might not be a complete fraud, you know? <laughs> Well, I'm yeah. just getting at like essential human truths, right? Right, like- right. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, like so much of the scene mirrors the yappy one in, in such an interesting way of like, yeah, like what you mean. And also it's interesting because like, as we later learn, Bruckman can only see how people are going to die. The only reason he can know anything about the killer is because he has insight into the killer. And 
And so that's right, also so unique he's seen too. The killer before probably, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which we know he has. But yeah, and um, <laughs> his dance partner. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I like how Bruckman also knows that they had sex, but it, that it was consensual. And his like deep sigh. Oh, sometimes it just seems that everyone's having sex except for me. <laughs> Iconic line, like truly iconic. <laughs> <laughs> and like, and the way Mulder's head just like falls after he's, he's just like so like frustrated, and embarrassed. Scully's so annoyed. Did you have something you were going to say, Abby? Oh, it just it was just adding to the like, um, like the really depressing things also being like funny and like watching the I forget what the word is, but like the juxtaposition of like a funny statement and it being really depressing and true, but mm-hmm. like tries to make one better, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but it does Very just much. kind of add to this guy who's just trying to mm-hmm. do what he can. And we get a little more insight into Bruckman's character because like, you know, Mulder's asking him questions and he's and he's like why i was like why why is the killer doing this or something it's like why why are any of us doing anything yeah <laughs> what what happened what was there just one day in this woman's life where she just said i know dolls and it's it's so interesting because i because bruckman has such a detached view of himself and his actions in his life like and, and it kind of feeds into this idea that like he doesn't the killer doesn't feel in control of his life and Bruckman doesn't feel in control of his life either. And so we get a bit of that and and it's it's such a good scene. I really like it. And then he he just stops and he says, like, you'll find the body at Glenview Lake tomorrow next to the fat little white Nazi stormtrooper. <laughs> and then next day, Glenview Lake. And there's a propane tank that has a slight resemblance to a fat little Nazi stormtrooper. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And of course, again, Scully looks at the crowd and again, the killer is there. And I, I just love, I love this. It's like one of those perfect, you know, X-Files scenes of Mulder being like, doesn't that propane tank look like a fat little Nazi stormtrooper? And Scully (laughs) has this long-winded explanation about like our brains recognizing patterns and like the pat, like the power of suggestion and yada, yada, yada. And then Mulder's, did you answer my question? (laughs) 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 <laughs> just just so good it's it's it, it has such a good dynamic between the two of them for sure mm-hmm. and then i love the uh scully's like maybe he just got lucky cut to clyde bruckman looking at his lotto ticket where he guessed the exact <laughs> lo- one lower number on every single digit <laughs> yeah. Yeah. him buying oh, lotto tickets yeah him buying lotto tickets is like my favorite part maybe like <laughs> That he that he like knows people's future, but like can do nothing <laughs> to help his own or whatever. Right? Exactly. Right. Like, like he's it's, psychic, it's kind of useless. But, yeah, he's psychic, but it's like he can't even win the lottery, <laughs> and he can't even help. Like he can't even stop murders. He sees no. these murders, and he can't or refuses to stop them. <laughs> yeah, he can't. He can't stop anyone from dying. And it's like the, all all this gift does is to haunt him. That's the only purpose it serves. Mulder shows up and talks to Bruckman about his gift. And Mulder is so flummoxed. Like he just he doesn't understand Bruckman as a person. And I really like that detail because I think it is like Mulder and Bruckman are very similar in that they're like Bruckman searched for something for an answer that he wanted to know 
And he wanted to know, like, what would it be like if your entire life rested on, like, a flip of a coin? Mulder's whole deal is that he wants to know the truth. What would he do if he got the truth? <laughs> like, we haven't found that out yet because he's never gotten it. But, like, it is interesting. It's like, if Mulder got the truth, would he also become incredibly depressed and nihilistic? Probably. Li live in, like, a studio and sell life insurance or, like something like <laughs> it's it's so interesting how much they don't get along when they are so similar mm -hmm. and and it is also so interesting that like Bruckman gets along so well with Scully because like she is like Mulder's better half in a lot of senses mm -hmm. and and I think like she's a real stabilizing force for Mulder and the fact that Bruckman doesn't have somebody like that is really telling I also like that like you know that like Mulder fundamentally doesn't understand Clyde Bruckman because he says that he's envious of him. And it's like, yes. if you understood him, you would not be envious exactly. of him. Like that's the last thing he wants, A, is for someone to be envious of him. And like B, if you really understand what's going on, you wouldn't want that. Like that's also awful. the fact that he like Bruckman's like, do you want to know how you die? And Mulder's like, yes. <laughs> it's like, no, no, you, don't. <laughs> you actually don't. Why would you? I, what I do like, though, is that, um, again, kind of coming back to this idea that Bruckman, or not the idea, but that he sells life insurance um, as his daytime job. Um, like, th there are multiple points throughout the episode talking to him where it's very clear that he, he doesn't feel like there's anything that you need to avoid the death that he sees coming. Um, exactly. But, like, by having a job giving like selling life insurance it's almost like he he is still in some way trying to defy that not not the um, mm -hmm. the inevitability of death but like trying to help in his own way um, right. mm -hmm. and that's coming really to terms with it yeah yeah for sure and also like i just i really like the character beat of like him being so paralyzed by his gift that it has resulted in inaction like he mm -hmm. does nothing he 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 is so like i can't do anything if i change anything i'll fundamentally alter something like how do i see the future if it's if i change the future how did i see the future it doesn't make any sense to him mm -hmm. my very my very quick note the u.s never invades grenada yes u.s invaded grenada too this will come back in a very very long time <laughs> this is a joke that will come back <laughs> And um, his his whole speech about like maybe even something smaller happening, like my father never meeting my mother, and my I consequentially never become and I'm never born. So when do we start? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's how you know that man's depressed. Yeah. He is so depressed because he even looks happier when he mentions that. Like he <laughs> right. like he knows that he's talking about depressing things, and then he's like, yeah, my mom never meets my dad, and I never, I never exist. When right. do we start? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And so Mulder takes Bruck Bruckman to test his psychic ability. And we find out, and this is where Mulder finds out he has exactly one psychic ability, and it's to see when someone dies. And it is kind of useless. <laughs> and I love I how love much it, it frustrates him. It's it, so like, funny. Mulder's like, I finally have a psychic. And like, what does it get me? Nothing. <laughs> I love that, like, Clyde Bruckman's just like holding up stuff to his forehead and like just like giving off like stories about how people who have like owned that or touched that have like died i think that's fascinating i would be yeah. having a, a wonderful time and Mulder's <laughs> just like sitting there annoyed and there's a um another thing that really inspired darren for this episode is uh beyond the sea an episode earlier in the show which we talked about he said he really liked it also it was written by his brother and james wong and there's a reference to <laughs> beyond the sea where 
uh, Clyde Ruckman holds up this like blue fabric he has to his forehead. And he goes, I know. This is yours. This is from your New York Knicks t-shirt. <laughs> and Mulder's like, miss. But like, that's the joke is like in Beyond the Sea, um, Luther Lady Boggs does a whole like production mm-hmm. with the fabric. And Mulder's like, that's from my New York Knicks t-shirt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I really like that reference. It was a little treat for for us yeah. diehards. <laughs> yeah, I did not get it. And I just thought it was like a weird, like, I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> but Scully shows up with a keychain. And we find out it's from Claude Dukenfield. And Clyde knows a lot about this guy that he doesn't know anything about these other objects from owned. And he's like, oh, I just sold this guy a policy. That's why I know all this information, like how much he makes <laughs> and married, dad, non-smoker. Right. <laughs> and, and, Clyde's like, and Clyde's like, he's dead. <laughs> it's like the equivalent of in the previous episode, DPO, whenever like Scully starts giving off like a full profile of the shoe based off of a partial shoe in print. And it's yeah. just because <laughs> the size was part of the imprint on the bottom. Exactly. Mulder was like super impressed. <laughs> and they go to drive to find the body because Clyde Ruckman knows where it is somehow. It's very unclear and he gets very frustrated when they try to find details about how exactly he's receiving this information. I absolutely mm-hmm. love like one, Scully like hardly ever drives so it's fun to see her driving and two, it's very cute to see Mulder like poking his head forward trying to have a conversation with the people in the front seat because we've all been there, you know? Oh Yeah. <laughs> And <laughs> this is one of, like, the, f- I think one of the funny, maybe the funniest light in the episode. I don't know. But <laughs> Clyde Bruckman kind of, like, has a bit of a smirk. Like, he knows he's going to mess with Mulder. And he says, there are worse ways to go, but I can't think of a more undignified one than autoerotic asphyxiation. <laughs> and Mulder leads forward and he goes, why are you telling me that? <laughs> this is you canon. He does, I, I'm convinced. You know why this is how This is how I want Mulder to die. <laughs> I mean, it makes sense. Yes. They go to the forest to look for the body. And this is where we find out how Clyde Ruckman got his ability. In that he had tickets to see Buddy Collie the day after the plane crash. The very infamous plane crash. The day the music died. Also, Buddy Holly, famous son of Lubbock. The Big Bopper, famous son of Port Arthur, Texas, near Houston. Also, Port Arthur has a lot of musicians from there. Janis Joplin's from there. And so Mm -hmm. is Pimp C and Bun B. So shout out to Port Arthur. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's like the pod. You're you're just the big bopper, and I'm just Buddy Holly. Exactly, exactly. And Waylon Jennings from Littlefield, which I think is yeah. in West Texas somewhere. Yes. Yeah, it is. And he says that the big bopper won his plane ticket with a coin flip. That's slightly untrue. Richie Valens won his seat with mm-hmm. a coin flip. Waylon big R. bopper R. got his Richie seat. Richie Valens was so young. Yeah, yeah. Like really sad. And wasn't Buddy like Buddy Holly like twenty six or something? Yeah, he was also really young, but like Richie Valens was like teenager. I oh wow! Say. Also, um, this is this event like so the way Buddy Holly's wife found out that like her husband had died was from the news. Like the police didn't come tell her beforehand, and so like she she had a miscarriage because of that, and that's why they like don't release the names until like they contact the family because like what happened to buddy holly yeah richie valens was 17 wow yeah Ow. so young yeah but uh the big bopper got his seat from waylon jennings because uh the big bopper had the flu and apparently they had been driving they had been getting from stop to stop via bus and it was it was such horrendous conditions like some of the people on the bus were like getting frostbite because they were like touring in like the dead of winter in like iowa 
and like just freezing to death on this stupid bus. And he's like, I'm I'm just taking a plane. Like I'm I'm fed up. I'm tired. I need like a full night of sleep. I need to do laundry. And so that's why they like flew from Iowa to as I can't remember exactly it was, but it's somewhere in Minnesota. But he said, yeah, he says Ruckman fixated on this so hard and just thought about it so much that gradually he was able to see how everybody was going to die, which <laughs> I think I think is such a fun way to like just reconcile like this weird psychic. He's just like, this is just this is just this is what it is. And it's fun. And like, you don't have to get hung up on it. But it's like really interesting, this idea that like you just think really hard about something and then you just gain the ability to see how someone's going to die. It's he so manifested fun. it. He manifested it. This is this is the secret. He's doing the secret. Mm-hmm. And one of my absolute favorite lines, is, or I, I say this every time I quote them, the episode, but it's it's such a good episode. So many good lines. But the Scully's now Mr. Ruckman. I'm not one who readily believes in that kind of thing. If I were, I still wouldn't believe that story. I know it sounds crazy, but I swear it's true. I was a bigger fan of the Big Bopper than Buddy Holly. <laughs> <laughs> and Mulder Scully means so frustrated with him. And it's so fun to watch. <laughs> well, and they're, they're like, like tracing through the forest being like, so you can tell us the area, but you can't pinpoint it. And he's like telling his story. <laughs> I can't see the forest through the trees. Right. Meanwhile, cut back to the car where they're stuck. <laughs> I love that bit. <laughs> they go back to the car and they, it turns out they're they're stuck in the mud and they're trying to push it to get out of it and just spins out of control. And it turns out they had parked on top of Claude Dukenfield's body. <laughs> Incredible. Which is also good because like their whole tra- thing through the forest, like right before that, um, as they were like approaching the location, like uh he had made a big deal like stop 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 and it, <laughs> yes and then like scene proceeds and you come back to exactly where you were yeah yeah so they they take care of claude Drukenfield's body and they go back to clyde to ask him for more information like he it hadn't already been abundantly clear he did not have any information but very interestingly his this is where his connection between the killer and him kind of like comes more into focus and and he says like he's seen what the killer's seen and he was um he recounts the vision the the killer had of Mulder running through a kitchen with the lights out and it's it's so incredible like Mulder and Scully are so tense because like Clyde is essentially predicting Mulder's death and I I just love how like casually Clyde says it because it's 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 like normal to him like of mm. course he can see this guy's death you know and and so he's kind of unfazed by it as much as he can be unfazed and Mulder and Scully are like wait 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 what happens are, can you roll back and the constant ju- jumping between like him trying to guess what the pie was on the floor and like Mulder getting more of my portrait he's like no 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 what happens next who cares about the pie I love the scene where he's trying to guess the flavor of pie <laughs> he's like coconut cream no no not quite <laughs> lemon meringue <laughs> banana cream banana cream banana okay cream. this we banana, banana cream, pie. <laughs> cream pie and um and it, he does kind of like this this does inadvertently save Mulder's life so thank you big ups to Clyde Bruckman for mm-hmm. saving Mulder's life we have we're at the very beginning of like peak hot Mulder and so I'd like to thank him for saving us <laughs> To, to getting Peacock Mulder later. They both look incredible this episode. Oh, yeah. I just yeah. want to say that. We For got sure. Scully's season three hair where it's incredibly wide. Mm-hmm. And then Bruckman is like, I got a letter. And 
his his Johnny Carson impersonation where he puts it up to his forehead and he goes, the killer. (laughs) I did not do that voice justice, but maybe I'll insert it here. The killer. And the letter is from the killer. And he says, like, I know that you know that I know that you know or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this really incoherent letter that's just like, I know I know that you know that I know. That you know it is and very much like you. a bit like it, it sounds <laughs> as he's reading yeah. it even it sounds like a bit mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so they take they go to take uh Ruckman into protective custody this is very long i figured this episode would probably be longer because it's your favorite there's a lot to talk about yes it's so dense it's hard to like get through it because it's just like so much happening <laughs> every yeah. seat is important honestly like, I know we typically talk about every scene, but like this, it's like, I literally have to talk about every scene or you're going to miss important details about the episode. And so we we have, I really like this. The killer is getting his tarot card read by this man. And it's kind of cutting between that and Scully and Bruckman in the hotel where he's in protective custody. And I really like that because it'll be like, it'll flip over a tarot card that's like very literally about the story. So the magician is Bruckman, the lovers, he says, with the introduction of a woman, like a blonde or brunette, or maybe a redhead, and then cuts to Scully. Scully. Like I really like that. Mm-hmm. Yep. I think that's oh, such yeah. a such a fun like way to mesh these two scenes together. And <laughs> and um and so like they have that. And, but then we have my favorite scene in this episode. My absolute favorite scene in this episode. I love this scene so much. It's uh, it's it's Scully and Bruckman talking, and they're like, and she asks like. How do you die? <laughs> if you if you can see and it's it's like it's so interesting. Yeah, like of course if someone knew how everyone's gonna die, they'd know how they they died, and that would explain why he was so nihilistic and depressed and so you know him <laughs> how he's in this episode. And he talks about it in the way like this this is like you can just tell like these are they they're both such incredible actors because I think if they weren't up to stuff like the scene would just fall flat. Because, mm-hmm. like, you really need a good actor to to balance, like, because with what Bruckman says, like, you don't want him to come off as, like, creepy or, like, lecherous when mm-hmm. he says, like, we end up in bed together. Mm-hmm. And Scully's, like, very, like, thrown off and, like, hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, it's after the lover's card, too. So, like, yeah. mm-hmm. the lover's gets screwed yeah. over. Oh, maybe a redhead. Cut to like this like intimate scene where they're like she's sitting on the bed and he's like like laying Lounge, on he's got the, his la- propped right. his head on his head. Yeah. Yeah, his, yeah, yeah. His head on his hand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he says like we we end up in bed together and and he's like I don't mean it like that. I just mean like I just very clearly see us in bed together and like you're holding my hand, tears are streaming down my face. It's a very tender moment neither of us will ever forget. And it's and the way he delivers it is so good. It's 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 just incredibly well acted mm-hmm. and really. Yeah, like <laughs> that speech, if not done well, could just fall flat. And then it cuts mm-hmm. back to Scully and her my absolute favorite line of Mr. Bruckman. There are hits and there are misses. And then there are misses. I just call him as I see him. <laughs> and he just says i call him as i see him and it's so sweet <laughs> i love that scene so much it's so cute yeah and it, it really is like look how close friends like Bruckman and scully are like mm-hmm. this is scully's episode like Mulder's obviously in it but like it's scully's like this is about mm-hmm. her <laughs> this mm-hmm. is her emotional emotional journey and Bruckman's emotional journey and how they both help each other and like learn from each other and how 
how important like their relationship becomes to each other Mm -hmm. in such a short period of time. Right. She's also doing like the actual police work in this episode again too, like actually like looking at the crowd. (laughs) Yes. Mulder's just like psychic. (laughs) Yeah, it's really hard for me to tell sometimes. Like I think that you do need a little bit more just like X-Files background to like know (laughs) why they're actually police because everything seems terrible, at least in the like. No, they're usually like this. This isn't, (laughs) this isn't too off phase. He's very like. He's very out there. I mean, it's his show, so, like, he's always right. But, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, usually it's Mulder running around and Scully doing, like, the actual useful, like, police work and research and stuff. I will say that Mulder's usually, like, more right, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, he wasn't wrong about Breckman being a psychic, but, like, Mulder's hunches are usually, like, a lot more spot on, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah. He drives more of the plot. Like, it kind of, like, sometimes they have episodes where, like, they're kind of just there. Which this episode is that to a degree. Like, they're obviously mm-hmm. solving the case, but, like, a lot of it happens whether or not they do anything. Right. And then there are cases where they're very much, like, in the thick of it, solving something. And also, uh, in the tarot scene, there's one card left, and he's, and the guy goes to flip it over, and he's like, this isn't my card. This is your card to the tarot reader. And it's the death card, which, like, it doesn't actually mean death. It means, like, spiritual transformation or, like, mm-hmm. new beginnings or something like that. Like, it's you don't really mm-hmm. predict someone's death in tarot. But like yeah. it is like a good right. I mean, it's like minus we know what flip, card it's it like, is. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so does the tarot reader. Like before it's flipped over, he realizes it. Like I think that's an another interesting thing because like we haven't seen really any. We've seen this tarot reader's kind of murder, and we've seen like the like palm reader's murder, and they both have the instance where they realize that they're in danger. And mm-hmm. I think that they're both acted pretty well. Like this tarot mm-hmm. card reader too. He like has that moment where he realizes oh no i'm i'm in danger now <laughs> yeah because even at the beginning he says like when he flips over his car it's like a man's gonna enter your life uh mm-hmm. it's like yeah a guy i'm gonna kill yeah it's like ha 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 <laughs> <laughs> good <Yeah>. joke <laughs> lol <laughs> and and Mulder comes to take over for scully and um she she was just like telling him about moby dick she was telling breckman about moby dick which like very on brand for scully Mm-hmm. And and right before she leaves, she she goes and she stops and she turns back around. She goes, "Okay, how do I die?" She looks very serious, and and Reckman just smiles and he says, "You don't." Which like the straightforward reading of this is like Scully's immortal. She's not mm-hmm. immortal. She's immortal to me. I think. Uh, but- I think that that's an actually a popular fan theory at the time. Was <laughs> that meant that she's yes. immortal, especially with some things that are up to that are like coming right. up. Yeah, this is like this is what, what the fan theory I mentioned earlier is that Scully yeah, yeah, yeah. is immortal because Clyde Bruckman told her that she doesn't die. But but Darren's very insistent. He's just like he's trying to be nice. He's not telling her how she dies because like that's bad vibes. And it's like yes, that's very clearly what it is. He also he she's wouldn't. immortal, right? <laughs> he like he would not tell her how she dies. Like well, he wouldn't. And it's cute because he's like trying to get her to ask. He's like, uh, I think there are like are, are a couple lines where he's um, almost like baiting her to like ask about this thing that he can do. To which point she has like, because I think she gives no credence. She, um, mm-hmm. you know, hasn't shown. But then, you know, she comes back, has that very serious moment of like, how do I die? And yeah, it's just even cuter <laughs> to me. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And um, <laughs> so Mulder comes to the door and. He tells Scully that the fiber they found earlier, which I didn't mention because there's a lot to mention, but it comes back and it's lace. And Scully says Chantilly lace, like the Big Bopper song. Mm-hmm. And then he says, 
you know what I like. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in, intellectually, I understand it's a reference to the Big Bopper song because that's what he says in the beginning of the song is, you know what I like. But also, the shipper they're flirting. You. They're yeah. flirting. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's absolutely flirting. I think I think it's fun because like we'll kind of get more into it, I think, as season three. We'll definitely get more into it as season three gets. But like I, I like to read this as like they've been like partners for two years. And so Mulder has been like, I can flirt with her and it's going to be less creepy, right? You flirt with somebody mm-hmm. like you've known for like four weeks. As a coworker you've known for four weeks. It's like, okay. But now it's like three years. They know each other well. And he's like, you know what I like. The way he says it is so great. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, it's real cute. It's so cute. And I also love his line. Where Scully's like, it's a coincidence. And he's just like. If coincidences are just coincidences, why do they feel so contrived? He's very right. Why do they feel so contrived? That's one for the philosopher psychic, Mulder. <laughs> yep. <laughs> But I also love how, like, you you can kind of contrast, like, this, this. We just talked, like, endlessly. I did. I mean, I think we all did. But I did <laughs> endlessly about how, like, Scully, Scully and Breckman have such a good rapport and, like, a friendship. And you can really get the sense that, like, their relationship means a lot to each other. And then you get Mulder and Breckman. No. A complete opposite. They have bad vibes. They do not yeah. have a good rapport. <laughs> Negative energy. <laughs> yeah. Like, Breckman's like, I'm waiting for you to ask me a stupid question again. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Mulder does give off negative energy. Like, Yappy was exactly. right. Bruckman's also picking right. up on it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Bruckman has this tree where his body's decaying. And Peter Boyle hated filming this. Right. Because he had, like, some health issues. And so, like, this idea of, like, filming himself decaying, like, really creeped him out. And I, I think I, in one of the books I read, like, uh, one of the people who worked on the show was, like, yeah, he said, like, this was the worst day of my life. And, and she was just like, okay, I'm going to try to make this as quick as possible. <laughs> and so I'm like, oh, poor Peter Boyle. Yeah. But also the censor was not having this speech. Like, he had to modify it a lot. <laughs> like, he wouldn't let Darren say maggots. He wouldn't, like, let them say maggots. Hmm. He had to change it Why? to insects. That's weird. I don't know. <laughs> I thought it, maybe he just thought it was a little too dark for TV. <laughs> for like network tv i don't know but like it was just funny that like this 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 speech went through some censors so like mm-hmm. like i think also he put in the word liquescence which i can't mm-hmm. remember if that was there or not but like it's such a it's weird there. word yeah well, no, 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 like there. before oh, before, before the censor yeah. or after the censor yeah but like yeah um <laughs> and so scully comes back the next day and Mulder looks very tired because he didn't get enough sleep because again they don't work well together. They have bad vibes. Oh. They need the mediator of Scully. Also, how do you sleep after like that description? Like Clyde Bruckman <laughs> doesn't sleep because that's what he dreams of every night and like n- awful. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that poor man. I also um just like again, like the difference in the relationships between um them. Uh there was like he makes a Bruckman makes a point of saying to um uh, Mulder before describing any of that he's like you're not one of those people who makes everything sexual or whatever right <laughs> um whereas like in this very like intimate scene that he described with Scully like he didn't you know didn't mention <laughs> didn't mention anything like this is a sexual um but yeah. it was very clear with Mulder like well <laughs> I do not do any field of two. don't even don't even do any psychoanalysis on Bruckman Bruckman is not having it <laughs> Yeah, you're right. And so uh, Scully comes back to get 
Mulder because there's been another murder. So Javez is staying with Bruckman and we get a scene with Bruckman and Javez and they have like okay vibes. Like they don't have bad mm-hmm. vibes. Uh, Bruckman he- just has such a bad energy because he does know Javez is about to die. Right. He he definitely has a wall up with this dude. Yes. You know, yes. you know, you, you know, this dude maybe doesn't have a lot of time left on earth with the way that yeah. Bruckman's acting because it's a little more distant than just like his sort of normal. Yeah. Because he would be doing more jokes, I think. Mm-hmm. But he, um, yeah, Javez asks Bruckman if he's going to die from lung cancer because he's a smoker. And and he just kind of like shakes his head no. <laughs> and Javez is like really relieved. And it's like, mm, maybe hold off on that. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Clyde has a lighter to light Javez's cigarette. And this is when he like, he, when he has the lighter, he realizes that Mrs. Lowe has passed because that's her lighter. And so that sort of connection between them. And he's like, oh, God, because like he realizes that she's died. Mm-hmm. And he needs to get to her body so her dog doesn't eat her. <laughs> yeah. And Havez tells him not to open the door. So he does open the door for room service. And I think it's very interesting because it is sort of like, does he not realize this is how Havez dies? Like, I mean, he knows how Havez dies, but like maybe he didn't put, t- put together like who comes into the room to kill him, right? Like, if it's just a room surface, he's like, okay. Or, or, but I think the more logical, the the better explanation is probably that, like, this has a lot to do with his inaction. He's like, I can't change what's happening. Javez has to die. Yeah. And so, and so like, yeah. he does open the door because he's like, this is how you die. But it's also interesting because, like, it's still an action he's taking. Like, you know right. what I mean? Right. At, at all points, it was still, like, Bruckman is the one that opens the door. Yeah. But they're finally together. The enemies, Bruckman and the killer, once again, they're together again. And absolutely love the scene. Like, so the scene comes, he comes in, it's sort of like a slow pan up to us realizing it's the killer, right? And then we cut to commercial. Mm -hmm. And then we come back from commercial and he kind of turns around and Bruckman had given like a dollar tip. And so the killer turns around and walks to the tray and grabs a knife. And I love the (laughs) Bruckman line of like, is that was that not enough of a tip? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's interesting because we already know it's the killer, right? Because there's a scene with Scully and the room service guy who's mm, the killer yeah. passing each other in the hall. And it's a very similar like two step back and forth. Like, oh, sorry, like getting in your way in the hall. Mm-hmm. And yeah, she so- puts her hand on the tray, mm-hmm. which is where she gets the fiber the on her. Yeah. Yeah. On the on her finger, the chantilly, the, the, the lace, chantilly lace. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So. I did forget to mention that. That definitely comes back. Yeah, and I do like how like the the bellhop doesn't know that Bruckman's kind of like the dude until he touches the dollar that Bruckman touched, mm-hmm, and then he's mm-hmm. just like, oh, "It's you!" Yes, exactly. He looks excited. He looks they happy. They brought him right to him. Right. He looks like thrilled. <laughs> he's so he's so happy. Yeah. And 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 then they we get this kind of um we get a interesting conversation between them because like the killer wants to know why he's doing what he's doing, and he thinks. Bruckman has some insight into him, and the, like that's why he's going to all these psychics too. He, he wants he wants someone to explain why he's doing the things he's doing, <laughs> and so he asks Bruckman, and he's like, "You don't get a kid, do you? Like you're doing these because you're a homicidal maniac." He's just like, "That does make a lot of sense." <laughs> he's <laughs> and like, it's like, "Oh an- wow, I didn't think of that before." <laughs> And it's this other way of like Darren critiquing the X Files and like the whole profile thing because. Mulder was a profile bo- 
profiler before he was assigned to the X-Files. Since this idea that like you put all this effort into explaining like why a serial killer murders and it's just like they do it because they want to kill. Like sometimes it's as simple as that. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't need to like, what was their relationship with their mother? <laughs> Did they wet the bed? Like yada, yada, yada. Did they kill animals? All this extraneous is he, stuff. Is he is impotent just, like, or whatever? Like, no, he's just a homicidal maniac. <laughs> right. Like this, uh, this idea that like, it's just like, it's sometimes it's as simple as that. And, and so then the killer is like, oh, gotta get him you're right here he's like you don't kill me here he's like why not how am i supposed to (laughs) you know because you saw how how best (laughs) but it's such a funny line of him just being like how am i supposed to (laughs) i also like that he like doesn't get killed because he's just like oh no you don't kill me right now (laughs) exactly and the killer's like oh okay (laughs) let me go kill this fbi agent then so right yeah i think he's a regular detective Oh, yeah, detective, yeah. The killer's, like, gone to all these psychics, like, looking for an answer of, like, why why do I do this thing that I see myself doing, right, in the future? Mm-hmm. Um, why do I do it? And, like, no one gives him an answer, and so he gets an answer from Brockman. And then I think, like, it seemed to me, was just totally willing to believe anything else that he said. Like, oh, I don't kill you right <laughs> exactly. now? Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, totally. And right after... Ruckman says that uh, Javez opens the bathroom door and the they fight and the killer ends up killing Javez. It wasn't lung it, cancer. It wasn't. He maybe would have preferred it at this point. But we then cut to Scully and Mulder investigating it and we have the killer getting a lo- very lackadaisical. He, he's probably left a fingerprint at the very least and he left the body and tons of evidence. But then Scully takes her gloves off and she realizes she has the fiber on her finger and she puts together... The bellhop I saw looked familiar because I had been looking at all the crime scenes mm-hmm. and he had been at every one of them. Her mind mm-hmm. has been putting all these pieces together and she's realizing he's the killer. Now, and also just important to note, I think that she looked, so they're in the crime scene room. Yes. And she looked out the window at the crowd again and she did not see him yeah. standing there. Um, mm-hmm. And the card that she is holding is the, 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 the page, page of cups who... Mm-hmm. on this card looks, looks like, like a bellhop, bellhop. Yeah. exactly yeah so she's like her mind is just like what is she doing she doesn't need Mulder for anything she solves this herself she's she's powerful she's right. brilliant amazing Darren loves to let her solve things I love and she it. also solved humbug yep <laughs> and so that's another thing of uh Darren just like not really liking Mulder he just likes to make fun of him and he's, I mean I he, love it I love it's fun it's too. like genuinely yeah. fun to just see like this this like real like heroic figure as far as like maybe your first impression of it it's like he is the protagonist he's the hero right he has this quest yeah he has this like very important quest that he's on (laughs) and just to be like why like he is he's a loser he's an idiot (laughs) he's gonna die by autoerotic asphyxiation (laughs) yeah like darren is like no i'm not giving him any cred for this he's just he's just he's just some dumbass and um, mm-hmm. I like how the writers love to do that. They love to take the piss out of Mulder a lot. Yeah. And so Scully takes off. And I love the detectives. Like, how does she know that? And uh, Mulder's like, woman's Women's intuition. intuition. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. And Scully goes to the hotel room and she finds Javez dead. And then she heads off to find the killer. But Mulder is trying to go up to the hotel room. So he's at the elevator and he looks through a window and he just so happens to see the killer. And the killer sees him and this killer takes off and Mulder chases him. And we've circled back to we're seeing mm-hmm. the other half of the vision 
Brockman saw of Mulder dying because we see the killer running into the kitchen, turning off the lights. And we see Mulder run in and all. We're kind of back in that thing. <laughs> and we see Mulder step in the pie and then he immediately turns around. And then the killer's on like the other side of him. <laughs> well, because in, in Brockman's vision, he had said, um, uh, you look down at the pie and you don't realize that the killer's behind you. So it's like mm-hmm, he gives him mm-hmm. this clue of like the killer's behind you. Mm-hmm. And so now in real time, Mulder swings around like gun pointed. And like as a viewer, I'm like, hell yeah, like show faith. Yeah. You know, give Faith the finger and, and take your life back for itself. And then, like, swings around, points his gun, nothing's there. And then the killer's <laughs> yes. behind him again. Like, it was yes. just like, oh, that was good. That was good. I love that. I love mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. And it is sort of this side, like, subtle, like, Clyde did inadvertently change history to kind right. of write it itself a little bit. Like, his vision's still kind of, like, adjusted for that right knowledge that Mulder had at that point. Right. And he does put his hand up in time, though. And so mm-hmm. the um, the killer cuts his, his hand and they struggle and the killer knocks him down and he's, you know, sitting on top of him, ready to stick the knife in him. And Scully shows up and Take she it. says, like, yes, put it down. And he doesn't. And she shoots and kills him. And I love the line of like the killer after he gets shot and saying like, this wasn't supposed to happen because it is like mm-hmm. it's such a nice bow on the episode. This idea of like fate and like changing you know visions and all this sort of stuff just mm-hmm. being summed up by like the killer saying this wasn't supposed to happen mm-hmm. well yeah i think it, it's good because it, it proves that it's it's not set in stone because like a lot mm-hmm. of clyde bruckman's sort of whole philosophy was like well this is going to happen i can't do anything to change it yeah. or if i try to change it then i'm going to change something else right but it's like it's not fully set in stone like yeah like what happened with Mulder still mostly happened kind of but also like it it in came Scully. It didn't account for Scully just happening to take the service elevator. Yeah. And ending yeah. up being there at the right time. Exactly. Well, and see, I want, like, I don't know. Maybe, maybe that is correct, but it seems highly unlikely to me that, like, Scully, like, accidentally took the service elevator. Like, I think she right. also, like, you know, they described a kitchen. Remembered. Right. Kitchen. Yeah. Right. And, and, and I don't know. If coincidences are just coincidences, why do they feel so contrived? Whoa! Exactly. <laughs> Boom, Shelby. Yeah, way to hit us with that little arrow there. Mic drop. <laughs> and so then Scully says, because Mulder doesn't die, and she says none of Bruckman's prophecies came true. Because, be- well, I think the thing is, is, like, when they're talking about putting him in protective custody, he says, no matter what you do, I'm going to be dead before you catch him. Mm-hmm. She interpreted that as the killer is going to kill me Mm -hmm. and that's why she says none of his prophecies came true and then there's like oh where's Bruckman she's like actually I don't know Mm -hmm. and and I thought that was really interesting of like this I like and of course like one of his prophecies came true because they then go to Clyde Bruckman's apartment and they find the neighbor's dog outside of it the little Pomeranian is just sitting there and Mm-hmm. And Bruckman left Scully a note. This is Miss Scully. And I love mm-hmm. that it's like, of course, it's addressed to her. It's but addressed I love, to like, Scully and not to Mulder. I, I think he like kind of, I don't think he looked super disgruntled, but I feel like there was a little bit of like, here. <laughs> and uh, she reads the note and, and he's like, would you like a dog? The dog is paper trained. And despite his actions last night. <laughs> he's actually a good dog. <laughs> and 
So they go into the apartment and they see Bruckman and he has died by suicide as well as his real life count- counterpart. And he has a bag over his head. And so the, the condensation in itself has mm-hmm. um, like water running down his cheek. So like tears are streaming down his cheek and Scully holds his hand and it's such a tender moment. It's so sad. It's such a sad way to end the episode, but like mm-hmm. it feels like it, it makes perfect sense in the sense of like it, it makes narrative sense, right? Yeah, it does. But it is so sad. Yeah. And and she's so heartbroken. You could just tell how much he meant to her. And yeah, I love this. I love this scene. It, it's, it is it, it is also so interesting and like I understand suicide's very complicated, right? I, I don't want to like flatten mm-hmm. it to like an action because it's so much more than like an action. There's a lot of extraneous factors going on. But like the fact that like someone so defined by their inaction uh, died by suicide is I think a really interesting way to end the episode as well. And Darren also wrote this episode. He said he felt pretty suicidal when he wrote it too. So that also mm-hmm. <laughs> explains why like it ended this way. Right. But yeah, it's 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 but it isn't the final episode. It isn't the final scene, which I think is good. I, I like that it's yeah. not like the it's the second to last scene because I feel like yeah. that's a real tough that's a real tough it's ending. It's a real hard way to end an episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And so we we cut to Scully in her apartment, and I want to say she's watching like an Abbott and Sket Costello. Maybe she's watching like this Three Stooges or something. Mm-hmm. But I think this is a reference to like also a bit of a reference to the fact that Clyde Bruckman was like you know in that kind of circle, and mm-hmm. <laughs> she's watching on TV. Or maybe that's just what was on TV all the time in, in the nineties at like two a.m. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> Would believe. Yeah. <laughs> and she she has the dog. So this is our introduction to our dog, Queequeg. Hello, Queequeg. <laughs> well, and she that the uh, whatever she's watching on TV cuts to a, a perfect, I don't know, circle, I think. Yes. Um, infomercial. Uh, an infomercial about Yappy. Yep, Yappy's back. Yappy's and back. He, he, and she picks up her phone while he's talking. And he's like, dial now. I know you will. And she has her phone. And so this is kind of fake it about like her like believing in psychics and like going to call Yabby. But she ends up throwing her phone at the TV. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so good. And that's how the episode ends. Yeah. Um. So that's the episode. We talked a very long time about it. Of course we, we did. did. It's, a, it's a very dense episode. A lot's happening. Yeah. But yeah. So let's do our segments. Segment. Segment, segment, segment. And as always, we start with Agent Mulder. How annoying was Mulder this week? And as always, I will start. I don't think he was annoying, but to honor Clyde Bruckman, I'm giving him a five. (laughs) I don't think he did anything annoying, but just to... He he was annoying to Bruckman, so yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. Laura, do it again next. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm also giving you a five because he wasn't really that annoying, but I enjoyed how much Bruckman was annoyed by him. Yes. <laughs> Even whenever he's not being that annoying because that's me too. So I get it. But yeah, he actually gets a five, which is my lowest rating. He was fine. Mm-hmm. And I think Bruckman would respect that my lowest rating for him is a five. <laughs> yeah, I'm fascinated because, like, knowing that this might be a segment that I was like well, waiting for this moment of like, you idiot, and I, I didn't really <laughs> no, that's get the other that. Emphasis. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I didn't really get that. So I would give him a, I guess, uh, I'll say a three because it bothered me that he. Um, I think if anything, it bothered me that he wanted to know how he died um <laughs> that he was like uh jealous of this man's awful power um mm-hmm. 
and like uh was clearly missed that he couldn't do anything other than predict his death and it's like you are clearly <laughs> the believer of this little narrative couple here um so like don't you know like you should know better than to ask for those things and He's you asking should know for be- too much right 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 mm-hmm. yeah you should know better yeah. than to to expect uh, you know, everything mm-hmm. from this one person. Yeah. Next, we have... A... So uh, this must be the enigmatic Agent Scully. Scully's sassiest moment. Laura, do you want to go first? Sure, I'll go first, as always. Um, By far, it's her throwing the phone at the TV. <laughs> For me, like, there's a lot of... There's, like, a lot of really great lines in this... And she's very sassy in this episode, she's I think. She's incredibly um, sassy. It's, there it's, were, like... Easily five lines I can think of off the top of my head. There's some great ones to choose from. Like, I have a lot of favorites that I've written down. But for me, the crowning achievement was, like, throwing the phone at the TV as, just, like, a big old fuck you um, to the stupendous yappy. Because, like, it, it's just, like, more of an emotional moment, like, sassy moment for me. Instead of just, like, a, a one-off quip about how Mulder has negative energy. Which yeah. is still great and I love, but, yeah. Abby, what's yours? I, I, one of the lines that I wrote down was the, there are hits and miss, and there are misses, and then there are misses. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. And that was, I think, I think that was my, uh, because I really did love all the ones at the beginning about like, uh, her being like, well, you know, we might as well go home. They've got things handled (laughs) or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. But, um, I, yeah, I just really enjoyed the, the playfulness of it too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that one's mine too. So I'll just say my honorable mention was when they're first doing the when they first take Bruckman to the apartment of the woman who was killed, and um, and and Mulder says like something is telling me he's the real deal, and she she just very venomously says, "So what? You're psychic now, <laughs> <laughs> Queen? We love her." And next we have... Welcome, you've got mail. The 90s moment of the episode. Uh, Abby, do you want to go first? Yeah, I'll go first because for me, it was that infomercial. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah. Mostly because just like, again, the kind of like the eyebrows, they're so good. Um, but also, you know, the huge numbers across the bottom of the screen and just everything about it, uh, like that, that very nineties fashion, and very nineties mm-hmm. fashion, very nineties like font and like you know co- like TV coloring kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. And then also in in that infomercial, his entourage lady that that came mm-hmm. with it, like entered the the first scene with him that has like mm-hmm. the like very short but vibrantly blonde hair or whatever yeah um, and is clearly there as his like you know like show woman almost <laughs> she like makes she's his arm candy yes his arm candy she like has a, a part in this commercial as well and it's just like yeah the whole mm-hmm. infomercial is very nice um yeah uh laura you want to go next uh yeah mine is the same i think it is like <laughs> The very big one, like the very big one in this episode. Um, yeah, I also have an honorable mention, but yeah, the stupendous Yappy commercial is just like it, the infomercial is just like so 90s, like late night, 2 a.m. television, like call the psychic number now, or like just like, yeah, you just don't get mm-hmm. like a lot of commercial, like psychic commercials like that, I feel yeah. anymore. And it just feels like the 90s was kind of the height of that era. For sure. Yeah, I want to see when I'm playing Spider Solitaire and I get that ad, you know, mm-hmm. I want to see a psychic one, honestly. Right. Yeah. I need to bring it back. 
Yeah. So mine is the Kato Caitlin mention. Yeah. <laughs> at the beginning of the episode. That really cracked me up because this would have been, I think the murder was in 94, I want to say. 94, 95. Uh, I can't remember. It's like April. Actually, I think the car chase was like April 95. Mm-hmm. Or maybe, no, it was June. It was, I'm sorry. I <laughs> I watched a whole documentary about it. I know because it preempted the NBA finals, which they're usually in June. And it was the Rockets in the NBA finals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to say. And they, the, were, they were in the NBA finals in 94 and 95. Yeah. My honorable mention is that National Enquirer at the beginning. Like, all of the headlines, very 90s. Like, yes. just everything that was on it. Yes. Uh, my honorable mention, this is um, uh, perhaps true of all the episodes. I don't know. But, man, the entire episode, like, the lighting, the camera pans, the, like, yeah. cuts, the very, like, kind of on-the-nose, like, cuts to things. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I just feel like I... You know, maybe I don't watch most TV, but I, you don't see some of that as much anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. In particular, like the lighting, like I thought was really funny, like um, how uh, like contrasty it was at times and like using the camera pans, you know, like to get the different lighting. Um, mm-hmm. And like mm-hmm. there are times when you can tell like like they're actually in a place as opposed to like green screening or whatever. Yeah. Right, yeah. right. There's like a grittiness to it too. You can tell that it was shot on film. Yes. Sometimes mm-hmm. too. Yeah. 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 Which like everything's shot digitally pretty much now. I mean, there yeah. are some things that are shot on film, but like if you're filming like a sitcom or something like that for like a major network, you're going to be doing more digital shooting for sure. Mm-hmm. So that was the episode. Uh, why I chose it um, is my favorite. It's it's a tu- it's it's iconic. It's a touchstone. It's a great episode. Uh, I think all of Darren Darren's work's great, but this is this is a real personal a personal favorite for me. And it really does like <laughs> lampoon the X Files in a way that like it was very it's it was very novel at the time to like get like the X Files is very modern. Like it's a very mod like a like a wolf. I don't mean modern, I mean postmodern. It's a very postmodern, like very like <laughs> referential mm-hmm. and and sort of like confronting the premise in a very direct manner. Mm-hmm. In a in a way that is very familiar to us as viewers of TV now, but very novel at the time. And it's great. It's a great episode. And it's it has a lot of heart to it and a lot of emotional beats. Yeah. It's a fantastic <laughs> episode of television. It's great. Yes. It's a Absolutely. good story. It you get into the you get into the crime, you get into the characters. I don't think you can have a better supporting actor than Peter Boyle in this sort of thing. Emmy you know? award winning actor Peter Boyle. Peter Boyle. It's like Margot Martindale <laughs> in The Americans. Yes, yes. It's also really interesting um, content-wise. Uh, I don't know a ton about the X Files, but I definitely thought it was more like alien y. Um, yeah. And so yeah. this is very like the occult kind of stuff and like you know, tarot, hand reading, tea leaves, like all of that stuff is already something that while it can be construed as this like visions of the future, it's also very much about like self reflection and self, um, mm-hmm. you know, meditation almost. Um, what do you see in this situation and using that information for yourself? And so it was a fun balance in that way of like, there was obviously some like elements of um, like the supernatural at work, uh, just with mm-hmm. how descriptive he was of people's deaths, and like obviously that's going to be part of the show where that's you know canon that that is true and happening. 
Um, mm-hmm. But then with every other reader that we meet, uh, you know, you're seeing like that break in character at the beginning and uh, all this other mm-hmm. stuff. So it's like this, I guess, the search for, for the truth, right? Yeah. And it's it's really reflective of like when the best the best X-Files episodes like use the the supernatural elements um mm-hmm. as flavor. Like it isn't mm-hmm. overwhelming it. It's 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 uh, addressing something true about ourselves and our, our our lives in a way that with the fantastic element of psychics or lightning mm-hmm. powers or aliens even and that you get to explore it in a di- deeper meaningful way. And this is absolutely one of those episodes where, like, it's important that he has psychic powers, but it is also unimportant. It is also just about a very depressed right. old man yeah. who has taken all the joy out of his life <laughs> by just thinking there's nothing else to learn, you know? Mm-hmm. For sure. Uh, oh, speaking of, so what is your, do you have any uh, any other thoughts about The X-Files as this being your first foray into The X-Files? Will you watch any other episodes or were you just like, eh? I think I would watch other episodes. My my immediate thought when I went to find season three, episode four to watch for today was, my God, there's 11 plus <laughs> seasons. Yes. Like, how is this? Yes. I, I had no idea. I knew that X-Files was a thing. I knew that it was, you know, like popular and, and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a ton of content. And like in a yeah. way that's kind of staggering. And I I think that um, very similar for me to something where like I know that Grey's Anatomy, you know, some people really enjoy right. and get into. <laughs> there is so much there that I would no longer feel able to like. Yeah like I could even mm-hmm. begin um I just so picture I, someone being like just pop in in season 15 the other first the first 14 right. don't matter yeah <laughs> yeah so I I think I would watch more but I I I would watch a curated version uh, uh, yeah that's what we're doing your, yeah perhaps your curated version um but I don't think I would um uh, sit down and, and watch them unless you're really passionate about it there really isn't a reason like yeah. I love it with my whole heart. There are episodes that I still skip. Like I just finished right. rewatching the X Files again for like the umpteenth time, and I think there were like ten episodes that I was just like, I'm not watching this. <laughs> yeah, and that's how you know you really love it when you're like, yeah. I'm not putting myself through this again. Yeah, I've, I'm tempted to rewatch them because I'm a completist. There are only like ten of them. It'd be easy to knock out. I'm like, it would just be the worst of the worst. I'd be watching like space and then like Roland. <laughs> Like just the worst the X Files has to offer, like in one city. <laughs> anyway, well, uh, thank you for coming on, and uh, I hope everybody listening enjoyed the episode. A, a truly monumental episode of TV. Mm-hmm. Thanks for having. And if yeah, and if you'd like to follow us on Twitter, we are Condensed Truth. If you would like to email us, we are Condensed Truth Pod at gmail.com. Uh, if you would like to rate and review on. I, it's not iTunes, uh, Apple Podcasts. I, I keep forgetting to say that. So rate and review if you can. Uh, tell your friends, tell your family, make them listen to me and Laura and our guests talk about the yep. X-Files for yeah. hours. <laughs> and then next time we are talking season three, episode nine and 10, Nisei and 731. Mm-hmm. We're getting back on the mythology horse. Back on that mythology horse. But I love these episodes coming up. So, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it. Yeah. Thank you again to Abby for coming on. Woohoo! And we hope 
you have oh and also sorry the last week's episode was like a day late it's okay you know, <laughs> it will not be the last time I don't think <laughs> you have quite a bit uh, to sort through for this one yes I do this is very long yeah <laughs> this is too long we'll see how it goes um hopefully my ear my hearing is a little bit back so there's that I can edit them now that's good <laughs> and yeah we will see you next time so have a nice week. Bye. Bye. Bye.